0: The story
1: Sometime after been that I'd walked down to the beach to the edge of the water and I literally collapsed backwards on the sand and I looked up at the stars and I saw such a peace and a tranquility in it and I realized this couldn't have just happened by itself. There must be a God. But how do I find this God?
0: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, the Jesus Movement was an evangelical Christian movement that began on the west coast of the United States in the late 1960s and early 1970s and spread throughout North America and to parts of Europe, Central America and Australia. At the centre of this movement was Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel and one of his early converts was Radio Pastor Greg Laurie. Another born-again Christian from that movement was our guest today, Michael Danoon. He was a Californian surfer who had been in the hippie drug scene before finally coming to Christ. Today we're going to hear his story and how he eventually came to live in Australia. Michael is chatting with Eric Scatterbo.
2: Michael DeNoon, welcome to the program. Thank you, So glad to have you with us. And where are you joining us from today?
1: I'm currently on the far north coast of New South Wales near Lennox Head, the big surf spot.
2: Oh, still uh, close to surfing.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't surf anymore, but uh, I can explain that later. But yeah, I'm, I'm still on the coast and still on the beach.
2: Okay, and tell us just a little bit about what was it like back during the Jesus movement of the late 1960s and early 70s in California,
1: well, it was a pretty awesome time. That was a time of great upheaval in our society in America, in California. We had what was called the hippies and the, the yeah. drug movement of the seventies, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was rebelling against all authority. We were lost as a, a generation of kids. We were unhappy with our government, etc. But God was doing something new in our midst. He was pouring out what's called revival he was wanting to restore the heart of the people in our generation so when that happened it was eventually became the Jesus movement and much of the church world at that time were so steeped in religious method that they didn't see what god was doing something new mm-hmm. so it was an exciting time that way
2: and as we heard in the introduction pastor chuck smith from calvary chapel he was kind of at the heart of the movement where were you in relation to him
1: well um i could say geographically we were about 150 miles from uh, those churches uh, uh calvary Chapels that pastor chuck smith started up with Greg as gloria's right hand there
2: mm-hmm.
1: we were god was doing the same thing in a place in one of the beach cities of Los Angeles, California, called Redondo Beach, and mm-hmm. a church called Bethel Tabernacle, where this church was experiencing this revival. There was an estimated, uh, I think it was 30,000 young people from, that wow. came through the doors of this church, mm-hmm. and at least half of them claimed to have been born again and gifted with the Spirit, uh, praying in the Spirit, and uh, etc., So I was one of those, and it's interesting how I got there, and it's interesting how the pastor of that church came into being, because he was a bit like an old uh, minister that we've read about some of us in the olden times, a guy named Nicky Cruz, who was sent to New York. Mm -hmm. So this pastor was sent from Idaho. He was a potato farmer. He was told by God's spirit to go to California, and I want you to build a church. So he built it with a couple of drunks. There's pictures of it. And then... Over the course of time, something like 27 years, God had given him a great evangelical-style congregation. And they had prayed for years for revival. And then one day revival came with a man who got saved at a crusade for Christ in another area. Mm -hmm. and came into that church, and God used him to be the catalyst of the spark to begin to proclaim the gospel and bring the kids in, like me, from all over the, the place.
2: Wow, so exciting times, revival, so not just Greg Laurie and Pastor Chuck Smith, but other churches as well that we probably haven't heard as much about. So we want to learn more about that whole movement, and in particular, how you personally came to the Lord. But first, let's find out how it all started for you. Where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in Torrance Beach, California, California. Um, which is one of the beach
2: cities of Los Angeles. Uh, I'm starting to see there's a trend here. You are always close hmm. to the beach in your life. Always. (laughs) And and surfing as well. But anyhow, what was your childhood like? What was your family life? Right.
1: Well, that was pretty tough because we were a very poor family. In fact, we were so poor that in the town that I actually grew up in was called Hermosa Beach. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a cinema there or a theater, and I used to go into the big bins behind it looking for uneaten food. I grew up in a very poor family, Mm -hmm. and our mother tried her best to look after us, which God helped her to do that, but because of the lack of a father, the Mm -hmm. lack of any uh, understanding of principles and discipline in my life, I soon found myself drifting all over the beaches, doing whatever I wanted, being rebellious. In fact, the police had a little name for me. They called me the cat, and they knew me. They could see me in the street and stop and say, hey, Michael. You need to go home. Your mom wants you know dinner time. You need to go home now. So that was an interesting time. And That it, it flowed right into the whole community that was breaking apart. Our families, the nuclear families that were, was, was mm-hmm. breaking apart. The drug scene came in in, the, in that time with much to do um, with uh, marijuana and uh, uh, you know all the peripheral drugs.
2: Yeah, the whole hippie movement and drugs and everything. Yep. Which So everything interestingly, yeah, interestingly. In the 60s, there was the hippie movement and drugs, but also, at the same time, there was the Jesus movement, and kind of that was hippie-ish as well, but obviously a different whole side of hippiness.
1: Well, it's interesting. I think the hippies came in as they were. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says, come as you are. Jesus says that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So whilst the established churches wanted to change the kids as soon as they came in the door of their church, God said, no. Let them come in as they are. I'll Mm -hmm. take care of that.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was the Jesus movement, and that's why it grew so much and had all those Mm -hmm. revivals. Now, for you personally, you became a surfing champion. Is that right?
1: This is correct. (laughs) In fact, when God saved me, I was 10 years old. And uh, so that's almost 60 years ago now. And he saved me at a Billy Graham crusade at a a large arena area. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, tell us that story.
1: Well, that was really interesting, because people around the the neighborhood knew we were poor, and a a couple across the street, an older couple who were childless, used to bring us in once a week and give us Kool-Aid and cookies and tell us about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they'd have the old, you know, the old little uh, A-frame boards with the felt on it, and they would put little pictures of baby Jesus on it, and Joseph and Mary, and all this stuff. And at at that age, I really didn't understand a lot, but I sure liked the cookies and the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah. And one day they asked my mom, could they bring me to a Billy grand crusade? And so she, yep, they did. I heard what I didn't understand. But at the end of it, when they had the altar call, I went down, I said what's called a sinner's prayer, accepted that Jesus is Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And then I went off to be even worse than I was before for quite a number of years, and that's when I dealt. Why do you
2: you think that was? You, You don't think it? Impacted your life, or what do you think happened?
1: Well, it, it, it did. It was God heard my prayer. Mm-hmm. He hears our prayers. Yep. And I prayed. I asked him to be my Lord of my life. But, you know, it's like the word says, you know, the seed can be sown, and then the enemy can come and sweep that away.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: So I was back out into the community. Mm-hmm. I got heavily into drugs to the point of even shooting heroin for a short time, mm-hmm. which was another interesting story because when that happened, the, uh, they had. This group of people had taken a picture of the surfer magazine with my profile on it, folded up a little bag, what they called back then um, a deal, and they had drawn a hypodermic needle across it and wrote, this will be your end. Right? Hmm. I was scared, but I was following me best friend, and we kept going, but I didn't do it for long because it interrupted with my main goal at that time, which was worshipping my idol, which was surfing. So I quickly got out of that. And that's when God began to deal with me in a really strong way.
2: Okay, so at that point, you're at the height of being a champion surfer, is that right?
1: Yep, that's correct. I was on the right of the edge of international stardom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was well-known. Everybody knew me. All the sponsors were giving me all their products, surfboards, wetsuits, clothing, money, food, whatever I needed just to ride their products. I had already dropped out of school. I was incorrigible that way. All I did was surf. I surfed in the day. I surfed at night. I took drugs all the time, mm. all kinds of drugs.
2: So now, somebody listening might say, "Hey, you're you're living your best life. You're a champion surfer. You're on the beach. Everybody loves you. You know, what more could you ask for?" Well, what would you tell them?
1: Ah, and there lies the crux of it. Mm-hmm. Individually, personally, I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was lost. I was saddened in my heart. Why was that? Well, because I didn't find any satisfaction in my life, mm-hmm. surfing. Mm-hmm. I was driven by it. I lived by the ebb of the flow of the ocean. And and it was one night on the 4th of July, which is a huge night in America. Yep. It's a yep. um, super night. And I lived at the beach. Some people had taken me in. I still didn't have a home. But some people had taken me in. And uh, I, I I was that, wiped out that night so much on drugs. Sometime after midnight, been that, I'd walk down to the beach, to the edge of the water, And I literally collapsed backwards on the sand, and I looked up at the stars, and I saw such a peace and a tranquility in it, and I realized this couldn't have just happened by itself. There must be a God. But how do I find this God? And, you know, it wasn't too long, and I got up, and I kind of brushed off the sand and went back to the house and went to bed. But what happened afterwards, for the next couple of weeks, all that was happening is that people... Young people like me with Bibles in their hands were on the streets, on the highways, on the byways, telling people about Jesus, that he loved them, that he died for them, that he had a, had a new life, that they'd found the truth. And I was over it, like, oh my gosh, you know, if I saw them, I'd just steer away from them. But this is when I couldn't. All of my family, my four sisters, became Christians at this church, Bethel Tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And one of them cornered me on the strand in each. and she looked right at me as only a sister can do, right through you. And she said, "Do you know Jesus loves you? You need to give your life to the Lord. Would you like to go to church with me?" It, interesting. I took me a few seconds, and I thought, "Okay, tell you what, I'll do. I'll go to your church, but I want you to promise me you'll never speak to me about this stuff again." And she said, "Oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord!" She was all mm. excited. And I just uh, said, well, whatever, you know, Jesus freaks, you know. <laughs> but I, I did. I went to church. I heard a gospel message, which I didn't fully understand. But what I did understand was when I walked into this church, it was packed out with young people like me. And they were praising God and worshiping God, and there was like a light and a joy that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of this service, they had an altar call, which was their the custom. And I went up and prayed only because my sister stopped me again. As I got up, I went to leave. And she said, where are you going? And I said, well, I came, I saw I'm gone. And she just challenged me right there and said, Michael, you need to get Jesus before you die. You need to have him in your life. Would you come up and pray with me? And I thought about it. And I said, well, I thought to myself, really doing anything else? Yeah, okay. So I went up, got on my knees, began to pray didn't know what to do. I was looking through my fingers at people around me. I thought, what are they doing? They're praying in tongues. They're praying in the Spirit. Um, They're worshiping God and saying, praise the Lord and hallelujah. And then she stopped me, and she said, oh, you don't know what to do. And I said, no, I don't. So she brought me through what's called the sinner's prayer again, Mm -hmm. and that was the beginning of the best day of the rest of my life.
2: So now this is the second time you're saying the sinner's prayer, but And taking it now that you're a bit older, you can understand it a bit more. Is that what happened?
1: That's correct. I think I was about um, just going on 16 at that point.
0: You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Michael De who was a champion surfer in Southern California and into the hippie drug scene in the early 1970s before finally surrendering his life to the Lord. We'll hear more of his story and how he eventually came to Australia when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Our guest today is Michael DeNoon, who's originally from Southern California. As we heard before the break, Michael came to the Lord as part of the Jesus Movement among hippies in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Now, here's more of Michael's conversation with Eric Scadaboy.
2: And so, what happened next in your life? Did you grow as a Christian?
1: Yeah. Um, look, this church was having revival, just like. Um, Chuck Smith's down there. Mm-hmm. There was, like, four services a week. There was a Saturday four-hour prayer meeting. People just wanted to come and worship and go tell others about Jesus. And every time they had a service, they had altar calls, and I would go up and pray. And there was a couple of the elderly Christian ladies in that church. We're talking, like, 80 plus. Mm-hmm. And they would come pray with me, and they would begin to ask God. With their arms raised, they would say, Lord, fill him with the Holy Spirit. And I just really didn't know what they are talking about, but I knew that everybody had this Holy Spirit, whatever it was, and I wanted it, but after about a month of this constant praying, I was alone at the front with these ladies praying for me, kids all around me, and I uh, I literally said in my heart, I give up, I don't know what to do, I'm never going to get this whatever it is, Now these ladies kept praying but I heard distinctively the Spirit of God speak to my heart in a language that I understood the language was being the King James Bible. It's the only one I'd ever know. Well, that's mm-hmm. the one that says "and thou shalt" or "thus saith." A lot of people don't understand that today. It's old English. Yeah, and they have newer translations that can help them. But when I heard that, the Lord's Spirit spoke into my being, and He said, "Thou shalt have no other God before thee," in a loving way, mind you. Mm-hmm. And it was so loud within me. I thought surely they heard it, and I looked up at the at these ladies and. They hadn't they hadn't batted an eye. They were still praying, and it occurred to me, it was my surfing, it was my God. Was oh, my
2: okay, yeah, yeah. And
1: uh, God was putting it on, putting me on the, the line right there. Mm-hmm. And what seemed like an hour or two was only probably in fifteen seconds that I thought about it. And once again, I bowed my heart and I lifted my hands up more, and I said, "I give it to you. I surrender, O oh God." And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit came upon me. The yoke or the bondage and the weight of sin was lifted off of my shoulders, as it were. I could feel a lightness. I began to actually speak in these tongues that everybody else was speaking in. And the reality of the risen Christ came upon me. And it brought back memories of my childhood when I was 10. And these people across the street who used to... Take us to their mm-hmm. house. Yeah. Just tell us little stories. Give us Kool Aid and cookies. It all gelled together like right now. Yeah. Just boom. This is for real. Mm-hmm. God is real. Mm-hmm. So shortly after that, I I was well. I like hooked on the level of genius, and um, I took my latest surfboard from my sponsor. They weren't very happy. Um, I broke it in half. I put it on the altar along with any trophies and things that I had won so far. And I grabbed a Bible, and I began to go to the highways and the byways, and everywhere I went. And that was the way we did it back then. We carried our Bibles with us. Hmm. We had them all the time. We'd throw them on the counter when we were shopping on the, on the belt. And we would tell people about Jesus as soon as they looked at us. You know, Jesus loves you. Now, granted, today's terms, it might seem a little over the top, but it was the move that God was doing. Mm-hmm. We were happy to tell others about Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. And how long was it before you eventually came to Australia, and why? Oh, gee.
1: Probably about probably about five, six years later, So I came here in 1983. Mm-hmm. I had a family member living here at the time at Lennox Head, so I had a place to roll up to. And uh, I came as a surprise to them because I didn't want them to know I was coming, so I just kind of uh, incognito got a ticket and got myself together and came over here because I was so distressed in my life at the moment.
2: Yeah, I understand that's, you were a bit heartbroken at that time. Tell us that, that story. That's
1: right. Well, I met this wonderful young girl, as you do when you're teenagers in a church, and I fell madly in love with her. Problem is, I fell too far. And she saw it. Mm. And she said to me, we need to have a separation here and refocus yourself on Jesus. And I took that in the, all the wrong ways mm. as a rejection. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, we didn't have what they have today, which is all the counselors and people to help Others get through their tough times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my idea was, uh, you know, the last frontiers, Australia, space, and the ocean. And I thought, I'm going to Australia. And that's what I did.
2: So get away from so, all your was, problems. Is that what you're thinking? Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so interestingly, God didn't run away from me. As soon as I got here, Christian people were on me that I didn't even know.
2: Huh. And they
1: were there opening up their hearts to homes and hands to...
2: Yeah, the, the uh, family members that were in Australia that you went to live with, were they Christians?
1: No, no, they are today, though.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. So here you are so. in a new country on the other side of the world, and mm-hmm. the, the Lord is bringing Christians into your life. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I, there's many, many people that God has, has allowed me to be a part of their lives in encouraging them to continue in their journey with them the Lord, with Christ.
2: And I hope your yeah. heart uh, healed from being broken in the U.S.?
1: It has. And in fact, today, I'm still good friends with that person, that, that young lady. Mm-hmm. She married one of my friends, and I. every time I go to the States, I go to visit them, and we go have breakfast or lunch or dinner together. Mm-hmm. We have fellowship together. And that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, many years. And uh, I'm glad to see them. The man that she married, I witnessed to this man once on the Strand in Hermosa. And he was in a very depressed time of his life. He was turning to alcoholism. He was also built like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was Italian, <laughs> so he's what they call an Italian stallion.
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, it was the night that he was going to commit suicide, which I found out later. Oh, wow. And I spoke to him about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And over the years, he got more watering, which is what we do when we share the gospel with people. He became a Christian, and about 20 years ago, he called me. And he said he just wanted me to know that that night was so important that wow. his life was touched and he turned to Christ. And I've heard that from many people over the years now.
2: Wow. So let me see if I have this right. So you had your heart broken by a young lady who eventually mm-hmm. married a man who years earlier you had led to the Lord. Pretty much. Wow! <laughs> well, well interesting how the Lord worked that out. Yes. There's nothing impossible with God. That's right. And, uh, And then kind of take us up to date uh, with your experience in Australia. I understand that you eventually became involved in ministry? Yes,
1: to a a smaller degree, of course. Um, But, yes, so whilst here I got involved in the local churches with encouragement from other brothers and sisters who uh, were Australian Mm -hmm. in Australian churches, and uh, I ended up having opportunities during that time to become... Involved in what we call ministry, which is really just the word for service. Mm-hmm. We know that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that includes being a coordinator for the scripture teachers here in the region. Um, that includes being the a, a lead singer for a local worship group in my church.
2: Oh, beautiful! That includes
1: being an assistant manager at a youth Christian youth camp in mm-hmm. the area, which caters for thousands, and being having the opportunities in to speak to a multitude of different Protestant churches and even the Catholic churches and share with them about Christ. It's it's an exciting life serving
2: God. Amen. So you were able to minister to so many people, and unfortunately we're running out of time here, but just kind of looking over the wonderful adventure that you've had that the Lord has led you on from the other side of the world to Australia and helping young people, being involved in ministry, never being too far from the beach, as you mentioned. Uh, What are some of the concluding points and words of wisdom that you can share with our listeners? Words of
1: wisdom. Well, firstly, wisdom, of course, comes from God. but In that case, I want to share with your listeners one of the greatest things they can do is to do what Paul admonished Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2.15, and he said, study, to show yourself approved. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've noticed that have kept the people in walking with the Lord is to study the Word of God. It makes the foundation that we stand on sure and steady. Mm-hmm. Too many people I've seen living too emotional lives on uh, whether they feel good at church or they feel good by what the preacher has said. Uh, the feelings ain't going to be it. I think Keith Green sang a, long, a song a long time ago, and he said, Faith is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. It was an act of God's will when Jesus was on that cross. He followed in in obedience.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, you've seen that um, some people start off on fire, but they kind of burn out and then fall by the wayside. But here you are, 50, 60 years later, still serving the Lord. But if I'm hearing you correctly and understanding you correctly, you're saying that the difference between those that stay for the distance and those that kind of fall away where the strong ones got grounded in the Word, and the uh, the ones that kind of fell away were the ones that were more kind of attracted to emotional things that are fleeting and here today, gone tomorrow?
1: Yeah, that's a very good way of saying it, because that is exactly what grounds us. It's the Word that I've seen over years tame people's emotions, stabilize them in their faith, so when that, the problems that hit them in life, which we all face, yep, yep. sickness, death, divorces whatever it may be bankruptcies mm-hmm. that is the word of god that the holy spirit brings to our mind mm-hmm. builds in our heart and mind and says it's okay i'm with you keep going child keep walking with me it's going to be okay does
2: Amen. that make any sense perfect sense thank you so much for sharing with us thank
0: you well what a wonderful story of how god worked in michael De noon's life As we heard, he's originally from Southern California and was a champion surfer before surrendering his life to the Lord as part of the Jesus movement among hippies in the late 1960s and early 1970s. What an incredible life journey he's been on that led him all the way to the other side of the world to live here in Australia. I like what he had to say at the end of his conversation with Eric Scatterbo, where he talked about the importance of being grounded in the Word of God. As it says in the very first chapter of the book of Psalms, Blessed is the person who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. They will be like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and whatever they do will prosper. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for Michael De enlightening story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today the story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au